0: Sean, Alcoholic. Hi, uh, Sean. I'm reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, pages 63 through 71. This is on the fourth step. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is personal house cleaning, which many of us have never attempted. Nor a decision was a vital and crucial step that could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and, and be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsellable, unsellable goods, to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched our flaws and our makeup, which caused our failure. Being convinced this self-manifested in various ways was what had defeated us. We considered its common manifestations. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From its stem, all forms of spiritual disease. For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten our... Out mentally and physically, in dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. we listed we listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry in most cases, it was found that our self esteem our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships were hurt or threatened, so we were sore we were burned up on our grudge list we set Opposite each name injuries was it our self-esteem our security our ambitions our personal our personal our sexual relations Which have been interfered with us usually as definite as definite as this example. Mr. Brown his attention to my wife uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm resentful at mr. Brown. The cause was his attention to my wife told my wife and my mistress Brown may get the job at the office uh, affects my sex relations my self-esteem my sex relations and my uh self-esteem <clears throat> mrs. Jones she's a nut this is the causes she's a nut she snubbed me she committed her husband for drinking he's my friend and she's a gossip it affects my personal relationship and self-esteem my employer they're unreasonable and the causes they're unreasonable they're unjust they're overbearing threatens to fire me for drinking and padding my expense account it affects my self-esteem and security my, uh, my, I'm resembled at my wife. She misunderstands and nags. Likes Mr. Brent, likes Brown, once house put, put in her name. Affects my pride, my personal sex relations, security. We went back through our lives. Nothing, count, nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse, and then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit, we permit these. Do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? But with the alcohol, the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is, an in, is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal, for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of the alcohol returns and we drink again, and with us, to drink is to die. If we, if we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of the normal man, but the alcoholics, these things are poison. Hmm. We turned back to the list, for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered. But how? We cannot wish them away any more than alcohol. This was our course. We realized that people who wronged us, perhaps spiritually sick, were... uh, wronged were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, offended we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. Not be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one, referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs other, others had done, we resolutely, resolutely looked for our own mistakes, Where had we been selfish, dishonest self-seeking and frightened, though a situation that had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours. Not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. Notice that the weird fear is bracketed alongside difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It is set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune. We felt we didn't deserve, but... Did not we ourselves see the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to be more t- trouble. We Reviewed our fears, uh, our, our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. We asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't solve the fully solve the fear problem or any others. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Perhaps there is a better way. We think so, for we are now rel- uh, now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than fi- the finite selves. We are in the world t- to play the role he assigns, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spiritually the way of weakness. Uh, Paradoxically, it it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let Him demonstrate through us what He can do. We ask Him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what we would have us be. At once we commence to outgrow fear. Commence to outgrow fear. Now about sex. Many of us needed an overhaul in there. But above all, we try to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off track. Here we find human opinions running to the extremes. Absurd extremes, perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex. Who be well the institution of marriage who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes they think we do not have enough of it or that it isn't the right kind they see it as significance they see its significance everywhere one school would allow man no flavor for his flair and the other would have all of us on a on a straight pepper diet he we want to stay out of this controversy we do not want to be the ar arbiter of anyone's sex content conduct We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? We reviewed our conduct over the years past. Where have we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom have we hurt? Did we unjustifiably unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. In this way, we tried to shape a a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life subjected each relation to this test was it selfish or not we asked god to mold our ideas and help us to live up to them we remembered always that our sex powers were god-given and therefore good neither to be used lightly or selfishly nor to be despised and loathed whatever our ideal turns out to be we must be willing to grow toward it we must be willing to make amends where we have done harm provided that we do not bring about still more harm in doing so In other words, we treat sex as we have any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about the specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. God alone can judge our sex situation. Cancel with persons is often desirable, but we let God to be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we are going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half truth. It depends on us and on our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and will have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing these are facts out of our experience. To sum up about sex, we'll earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing it is if sex is very troublesome we throw ourselves we throw ourselves the harder into helping others we think of their needs and work for them this takes us out of ourselves it quiets the imp, imp, imperious act, urge than when the yield would mean a heartache. If we, if we have been through with, about our personal inventory, we have written a lot down. A lot, we have listed and analyzed our resentments. We, we have begun to comprehend their futil, futil, futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. In this book. You read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision in an inventory of your grosser, grosser handicaps, you have made a good beginning. That beginning, so you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. All right. Sean Alcoholics. i'm reading from the big book of alcoholics anonymous pages 63 through 71. this is on the fourth step next we launched out on a course of vigorous action the first step of which is personal house cleaning which many of us have never attempted nor decision was a vital and crucial step that could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and and be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us A liquor was but a symptom so we had to get down to causes and conditions Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsellable, unsellable goods, to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched our flaws and our makeup, which caused our failure. Being convinced this self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us. We considered its common manifestations. Resentment is the number one offender. <clears throat> it Destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From its stem all forms of spiritual disease. For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten our out mentally and physically in dealing with resentments we set them on paper we listed we listed people institutions or principles with whom we were angry we asked ourselves why we were angry in most cases it was found that our self-esteem our pocketbooks our ambitions our personal relationships were hurt or threatened so we were sore we were burned up on our grudge list we set Opposite each name, injuries was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal, our personal, our sexual relations, which have been interfered with us. Usually, as definite as definite as this example, Mr. Brown, his attention to my wife. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm resentful at Mr. Brown. The cause was his attention to my wife. Told my wife and my mistress. Brown may get the job at the office. Uh, affects my sex relations, my self-esteem, my sex relations, and my. Uh, self-esteem <clears throat> mrs. jones she's a nut this uh, the cause is the causes she's a nut she snubbed me she committed her husband for drinking he's my friend and she's a gossip it affects my personal relationship and self-esteem my employer they're unreasonable and the causes they're unreasonable they're unjust they're overbearing threatens to fire me for drinking and padding my expense account it affects my self-esteem and security my, uh, my, I'm resentful at my wife. She misunderstands and nags. Likes Mr. Brent, likes Brown, wants house put, put in her name. Affects my pride, my personal sex relations, security. We went back through our lives. Nothing, count, nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us, and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse, and then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? But with alcohol, the alcoholic, Whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience this business of resentment is an, is infinitely grave we found that it is fatal for when harboring such feelings we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit the insanity of the alcohol returns and we drink again and with us to drink is to die if we if we were to live we had to be free of anger the grouch and the brainstorm were not for us they may be the dubious luxury of the normal men but the alcoholics these things are poison we turned back to the list, for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We cannot wish them away any more than alcohol. This was our course. We realized that people who wronged us, perhaps spiritually sick, were. Uh, wronged were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We not be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs other ha- others had done, we res- uh, resolutely, resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self seeking, and frightened? Though a situation not, had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them be- before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. Notice that the weird fear is bracketed alongside difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It is set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune. We felt we didn't deserve, but... Did not we ourselves see the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to be more t- trouble. We reviewed our fears uh, our, our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. We asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't solve the fully solve the fear problem or any others. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Perhaps there is a better way. We think so. For we are now rel- uh, now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than fi- the finite selves. We are in the world t- to play the role he assigns, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spiritually the way of weakness. Uh, paradoxically, it, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is, the faith me- is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let Him demonstrate through us what He can do. We ask Him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what we would have us be. At once we commence to outgrow fear. Commence to outgrow fear. Now about sex. Many of us needed an overhaul in there. But above all, we try to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off track. Here we find human opinions running to the extremes. Absurd extremes, perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of of our lower nature, a base necessity, of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex who be well the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it, or that it isn't the right kind. They see it as significance. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow man no flavor for his flair, and the other would have all of us on a, on a straight pepper diet. He, <laughs> we want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex content conduct we all have sex problems we'd hardly be human if we didn't what can we do about them we reviewed our conduct over the years past where have we been selfish dishonest or inconsiderate whom have we hurt did we unjustifiably, unjustifiably arouse jealousy suspicion or bitterness where were we at fault what should we have done instead we got this all down on paper and looked at it in this way we tried to shape a same a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We asked God to mold our ideas and help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given, and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in doing so. In other words, we treat sex as we have any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about the specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. God alone can judge our sex situation. Cancel with persons is often desirable, but we let God to be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we are going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half truth. It depends on us and on our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and will have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. To sum up about sex, we'll earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing, it is. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imp, imp, imperious act, urge. Then, when the yield would mean a heartache. If we if we have been through with about our personal inventory, we have written a lot down a lot. We have listened and analyzed our resentments. We, we have begun to comprehend their futil, futil, futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. In this book... You read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision and in an inventory of your grosser, grosser handicaps, you have made a good beginning. That beginning, so you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. All right. Hey, can I
1: It's over on a Friday. I remember I used to be happy about Fridays because my drug my drug dealer he knew uh, he knew my pay schedule so it was like wow Fridays what a treat and he would call and it was uh, it was perfect it was like a, almost you know he was on the payroll right <laughs> and um, I grew up um, I wasn't underprivileged or have anything traumatic uh, happen to me you know growing up I just grew up partying a lot with other teenagers and there was a lot of music and a lot of bands playing and a lot of people playing in garages and we were just drinking and all that kind of stuff and uh, kind of like, uh, just got used to binge drinking and binge drinking and binge drinking. Matter of fact, I didn't, I, uh, I had different friends in different schools and uh, had never met a, uh, a heroin addict and, uh, until I, I, I started uh, partying with some guys that, um, that went to private school. Like these are supposed to be from like rich families and things like this. And you know, these guys are the ones who taught me how to drink and, and uh, it just carried on for many, many, many years and uh, many, many blackouts later and many, many, uh, times that I didn't know how I got home or the only thing that, uh, um, woke me up on the 605 freeway was the, the uh, two, uh, tires on, on this side had blown out and sort of shaking always had kind of like a like a sheltered life just kind of landed kind of plush so nothing ever really happened to me like it was uh, I used to be about uh, 417 pounds right so I used to be like a jolly looking guy so you'd see the guy you wouldn't suspect he's drunk in the car and uh, so I lived like that a long time until like about 2008 I got uh, my first uh, DUI I was on the uh, wrong side of the street when they pulled me over and so uh, you know, I didn't uh, take anything seriously at all and I drove like that until 2014. I didn't really care I was you know, I was always kind of dressed in a suit I was, I was working for a bank and so nobody would ever really suspect me of, of doing much of anything so I drove like that and um, and Finally I came to uh, to the court order and uh, and uh, they uh, you know sent me to the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous And I started going there 2014 and I was just there for the court card and just to take care of everything and then um then sometime later uh you know my drinking had spiraled out of control again and uh, i thought to myself this time you know i'm just gonna volunteer myself and go over there but i didn't get yeah i didn't work the steps i didn't get a sponsor i just was going to meetings and thought that's all all i really needed to do and then uh, afterwards i was going to be cured right and that was about it because i was not like everybody else right and then, uh, so flash forward a few years later, I actually went through a two-year, just like the book says, like the guy that stays sober for a certain amount of time. Well, that's me, like I could be sober for two months, two years, two weeks, two minutes. And then the, and then the thought occurs. And so I went through a stretch for about two years uh, where um, I was transitioning careers and uh, I went through a sober stretch. And So I was on my high horse about being sober, this, that, and, then uh, my boss started noticing you know he's like he's like uh you know i noticed that uh, you don't drink and whenever we go out uh, you don't want to drink or you don't really like socialize like that well it happened to be that uh he was a massive alcoholic and uh you know all the words that i had heard in the rooms i was just kind of regurgitating the guy because i was on my higher horse and like i'm sober like you know i'm the exception here so it got to the point where his life was getting so bad that i decided to um to take him to Los Amigos. I'm like, hey, bro, like, you guys got to, you got to come over here and talk to these people because I can't really help you anymore. Like, I remember one time I told him that, um, it's not like you're going to go somewhere because he was like, he was like, he's very like, you're going to solve the problem. Like, just like the broker in the book, right? Well, he's my broker. And, uh, and I said, I said to him, I I said to him, look at, you're not going to go over there and they're going to give you some kind of certificate and you're going to learn. And all of a sudden your alcoholism is going to be. There's no way to cure it. You have to. It's like an ongoing therapy that you have to have, like any other disease, like like hypertension or, or diabetes, and it requires ongoing therapy. And so at at that time, I was just regurgitating information, so it didn't really. But when I saw the reaction on his face, like like for two weeks, he was just like mad. He was just like crazy. All, Are you saying that there's no way? I said no. You just got to go talk to those people, and so. And, uh, and I, I, then it finally got to the point where he got into some legal trouble. So I said, you know what, let's just go. Because I, al- I had always had a good experience at Los Amigos on a Thursday night. I said, you know, let's go on a Thursday night. And I brought him to the people there. And I said to, my, I said to him, look, you know what, you, gotta, you see those steps right there? you got to work all these steps right here. And you got to get a sponsor. And you got to do this and that. So I had proved myself the exception to the rule. right? And... Um, well, flash forward a few years later, I don't know if he ever really worked the program or anything, but, uh, he stayed sober. And so, you know, subsequently his, his business, you know, took off, but, uh, who knows how successful it's going to be without I I don't know if he had a sponsor or not, <clears throat> but before it was like just a lot of, um, drugs and alcohol and a lot of drinking. And it just got to the point where, um. Like they say there's functional alcoholics. If I take a drink, I'm done. I'm like jelly. Like it doesn't, like I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm done and like, forget about it. So I, I just progressed and progressed to the point where like I couldn't function anymore. And, um, and basically uh, to top it off, like I saw, I, I landed to something plush all the time to top it off the work that I had would be that so that I would get deposits in the bank account whether or not I worked every month. So it just got worse and worse and worse, and I became disconnected. And before you know it, like I, I felt like my powers of speech, I was losing my powers of speech because I was isolating. And that's the one thing I, I, I isolate. The first time I drank, the first time I smoked weed, it was just by myself in my room. There was nobody else there. So I just, that's my whole thing. I isolate, I isolate, and I isolate to the point where I shoved everybody out of my life. Right? And uh, I'm used to having these roles in life where I advise people, or I, I help people, or and all my power was taken from me because of my stupid choices, right? Like a child just sitting there, just stagnant. But um, I had one last bender. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of typically kind of dress like this because I work so much that I don't have normal clothes. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I went on a bender and I was thinking to myself, man, I got to get to Los Amigos, man. This, is, this is, I'm going to go to that Thursday. And it was a Tuesday, and I'm thinking to myself, man, this can't wait. I better go to a, on a Tuesday. And I'm thinking, I was feeling so horrible, and I just dressed down a little bit, and I was like, man, I'm going to be self conscious a little bit. But, you know, people, it's okay because people go there, and, you know, they don't look so the best. When I got there, everybody was dressed in the suit, and I was dressed down. And uh, I, kind of, I kind of felt like relieved at first, you know. But uh, lo and behold, I found my, uh, my sponsor there, and I found my, uh, my home group there, and, and my grand sponsors. And, and uh, the most, uh, you know, we're, we're, I'm barely, you know, in step one and, and uh, with my sponsor and things like this. But the, the biggest thing that I've learned right now is that I don't even need a drink to have alcoholic behaviors. Like I have to be, I have to be sober of mind as well. And I, I think that's been the biggest takeaway, like listening to all of you, how you guys don't react to things. And that's like the most amazing thing to me. <clears throat> so now I find myself in a situation where I help people now, people seek my counsel, seek my advice, and I love serving others. That's my whole nature. And I owe that all to you guys. Thank you for letting me go. So I'd like to uh, introduce my uh, grand sponsor, uh, Rudy, to come on up. Uh, he's the uh, Los Amigos home group. Oh.
2: Cool. All right. Yeah. Good evening. My name is Rudy. I'm an alcoholic. Is that my is that speaker working? Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, good job, uh, Robert. Thanks for sharing. I want to thank uh, Les for inviting me to come out here. Um, kind of took me by surprise. Uh, here, uh, from what it looks like, like this is a hidden secret right here. You know. Uh, tell too many guys like me about, you know, barbecues before a meeting, you know, we might need to spread out even a little more,
3: but uh, that
2: was really nice, very hospitable, thank you everybody, I see all kinds of people being of service here, it's a good place to be and it smells like Alcoholics Anonymous in here, you know, and uh, you know, two blessings right off the top, you know. Uh, not to mention the hamburgers and hot dogs, right? But there was pizza too. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just look over and I see a guy from, uh, that I met just, you know, a couple of years ago. And he, he seemed to be looking at me, you know, like, like he, he recognized me and I said, hey. And he says he came over and, and hugged him and uh, I'm glad to see him. And he's smiling. You guys know Dave, he wasn't sla- smiling too much, you know? But he looks really good, David, I'm happy to see you, man. I'm glad you found your place here in AA like I have. Um, And then there's a guy up here reading one of the the readings that we do. And when he was done, I thought, did he say his name was Steve? I thought, son of a gun, I haven't seen this guy since 8th grade graduation in East L.A. And, and, and we kind of ran into each other, you know, thank God the Facebook, right? It is good for a few things and uh, it gets me in trouble, but with my wife and family and all that stuff. But nevertheless, uh, you know, it, 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 it put some people in my life that I had not seen in many, many years. And, and to find out that, you know, I think I had posted something on there, you know, the meeting before the meeting, you know, we're smoking cigars. And he goes, hey man, by the way, what kind of meeting was that? And I just, you know, we started talking and, and, uh, most people don't ask those things unless they're, they can relate, you know, but it's great to see you, Steve, and I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad that you found this place, and happy birthday to Chris, you know, 15 years, it's a big deal, you know, that's, that's the time in Alcoholics Anonymous. People are gun ho one to five. And you can start getting eight, nine, 10 to the early teens. It kind of thins out because people get girlfriends, wives, kids, careers, start making money, doing stuff, what have you. And then you'll see somebody start taking twenties and thirty years, you know. But in, that in between, to find those people regularly in the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, I've I just noticed that that they kind of dwindle down. And uh, I know there's people here that been sober longer than me. My sobriety date is June 1st, 1989. I just celebrated 33 years and uh, I got here when I was 25 years old. I didn't know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know anybody who wasn't doing the things that I was doing prior to coming here. You know, Uh, I had heard about some born again Christians that stopped drinking and doing the things that we did, but I thought I'm a good Catholic. I'm not about to change religions, you know <laughs> now I hadn't been to mass in a hell of a long time, but I wasn't going to change religions, right and uh, you know so so I didn 't know anything about it but but a, a series of things happened you know we I started drinking at a pretty young age and doing the things that we do, and uh, i felt I found myself one evening up for about five nights sitting across the table from a guy that I had only met nine months prior and uh this guy, he sat across the table and he says, "Hey, man." He goes, "You know what?" Because I never seen you pissed off. I never seen you go off on anybody here. I never seen you, uh, you know, getting a fight or anything like that. He goes, and I'm not saying you're weak. He says, but if you keep doing what you're doing, you're gonna end up where I gotta go. He goes, and just know that. After tonight, you're cut off. Now, that guy I had only met him nine months prior to that, but he saw me lose two really good jobs. Good jobs for me, you know. One was with Dryers Ice Cream, which ended up getting purchased by Nestle, and I was doing really good there because I do good up until I start getting paid, and then, uh, and then I, I, I got a, a job with a Miller. Uh, brand's distributor and, uh, and and I lost that job and he saw me and he goes you know what man he goes I'm not doing you any good and you ain't doing me any good because you ain't got no hustle he goes and uh, if you if you end up where I'm going to go I don't think you can handle it in there and people had told me you know hey man it's going to come down you're going to get busted you're not going to like it in there and things like that but I thought well I'm hanging around with guys that. Are good guys you know they, they they they're not the kind of guys that get in trouble but at this point i had kind of walked away from all those guys I, they they got on with the business of living they graduated high school they went to college or got careers and started doing mm-hmm. stuff and i just kept getting deeper and deeper into it and uh he told me if you're here tomorrow you're cut off now i had two choices i could be there the next day start begging like we see those people begging in them garages and late-night garages or I could leave there and say all right and then you know just like in AA you can't do anything in AA without people finding out so just know that right (laughs) off the top and uh, I knew that the word would get out that yeah Rudy's over there doing that over there now you know now this guy he happened to be the connection right So if the connection's telling you, hey man, maybe you better go into one of them rehabs. If you're new here, you might wanna take a good look at yourself and your situation, you know? And so that's what happened to me, you know? For some reason, I hit my knees that morning and uh, we had been up for five days and I prayed to a God that I hadn't prayed to in a long, long time. And my prayer was pretty simple. I said, God, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know that I need help. Now, I got up off my knees that day, because I felt so ashamed to even pray, you know. My parents worked hard, they, they put us through parochial schools and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I don't know uh, how many of my of my brothers or sisters were alcoholic. I know there's been some heavy drinking going on and my dad drank, but he, he he's still a great dad, you know, and he went to work and he retired and what have you. But I know that I'm an alcoholic. You know i don't know if i was born an alcoholic i don't know if i became an alcoholic it really doesn't matter to me what matters is that i know that i'm an alcoholic for me to pick up a drink is to go back to that way of life as they used to say pick up a drink is to die for me you know now i don't know if i'm gonna all of a sudden go into convulsions just because i had a few beers you know but i know where it's going to take me and i used to think you know if i ever go back to drinking or doing the things i was doing I'm going to pick up right where I left off. And thank God for these old timers that came before me because they, they told me, Rudy, it'll be like as if you never stopped. We've seen people go back out, and, and man, I've seen them. I've seen them. They, they hit bottom really hard and really fast, and it's so hard for them to come back. And uh, I watched a guy for about five years come to this men's stag meeting that I go to in Compton, 435, 435. Uh, Compton Intergroup Group on Monday nights and this guy was a righteous drunk and at one point he had 25 years and he couldn't stay sober, he had 90 days, 30 days 90, and I'll be damned if he didn't take a cake about two years ago for one year and the room was like ecstatic you know because this guy got it finally and he died probably a month later he was sick, he was sick He health wise he was really really sick you know and the guy that was running them around just celebrated 44 years and he's in a wheelchair and he's got, you know, on an oxygen and stuff like that. But he was in a goddamn meeting taking a cake, sitting there eating that cake too, you know. And uh, his his son was 18 years old and he wheeled him in and when he shared, he got stronger it seemed like, you know. He looked bad. His name's Wino Pete. And... Uh, you know, it, it was an inspiration to me to say that, you know, he wasn't at home feeling sorry for himself. He was there at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. And so those things, I had no idea that's what was going to happen when I came. But I remember hitting my knees and I picked up a phone and I called my brother. See, because about three months prior to that, my mom had gone uh, to Las Encinas, right? She went through what she went through and... and. uh she had dealt with alcoholism her whole life and now her baby of the boys is, is doing what he's doing. And so they were trying to do an intervention on me. And I'd find little pamphlets and stuff around my bedroom. One of those diagrams where you peek and then you come down. And uh, I was like, what is this? You know, I didn't really pay too much attention to it, but I have three sisters. They're all in healthcare, And, uh, and I have a brother who is my, my, my protected me, you know, he's the toughest guy I knew. And then I have an older brother who I wanted to be like because he's like 6'3", three, dark, he's lean, he's handsome. To this day, he's 70 years old and he's still handsome, you know. And uh, I wanted to be like him. And, and we were in this intervention and they were talking to me about getting help. And, and my brother leans over to me and he says, hey man. Why don't you just smoke a little weed and, and drink beer? Just lay out that other crap you're doing. And I'm like, hey, hello. Anybody hear him? He's got the answer, you know. And nobody was listening to him. They didn't hear him. But, you know, it sounded right to me. But, you know, what, what happened for me in the end was that, you know, after I left that, my, my friend's house that day, uh, I got up on my knees and I called a friend of my, my brother and I told him, uh, this brother the cool brother and he goes, well, what do you want to do? And I go, I don't know He goes well, you want to go see a doctor and I said yeah, I'll go see a doctor well It's been 33 years and I don't know how many days and he's yet to pick me up and take me to the doctor <laughs> But I bought it and I go he goes, can you hang till Sunday? I go. Yeah, I'll be fine. I have nowhere to go and so I Called him and then he introduced me to this guy and this guy was in, in our program he wasn't a church guy, he was a regular guy. He was old school. And he lived out in Hesperia and, and he had two little kids and then a stepson who was like in high school. Later I found out he had another son, and another son, and another son, and a daughter. You have a daughter and another daughter and so forth, right? But these two little kids, five and seven, they thought I was like Ted, the, the stuffed animal that comes to life in that movie because man, they wrestled me. They, they just played that we were probably on the same maturity level right <laughs> and uh, they just love me you know and he goes look I'm gonna introduce you to somebody he's gonna give you a little job he's go he goes and and, and he'll give you whatever you need you need anything you, you just ask him for it. he'll give it to you the only thing is when you get paid he's gonna send me the money He's gonna start saving a little bank account I go great I never mentioned a doctor or any kind of rehab or anything like that I was like good I went there this guy invited me home his first day and uh you know i had another friend who took me in for a couple of days before i went there and you know about two years later i went to a party that they were having at their house you know and uh i i found out that all this time he he had a, like a machine shop out in, in the inland empire where he'd do parts for aerospace companies and uh I I didn't realize when we were delivering parts and stuff like that, or he was seeing these buyers from all these uh, major aerospace companies that he was giving them controlled substances, you know? And I had no idea, right? I found out later, but he never tried to do it with me, you know? And his wife, the beautiful lady who cooked so well, fed me like a Roman, she was selling guns out of that house. And, And never once did they say, hey, you know... This this. they were just good people you know and uh, they were old school you know and um, they 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 uh, I, I remember going back before I ever met them and, and I went to ask for help like to my mom and dad and it was a week after Mother's Day and I went there and I, and she goes well you gotta wait till your dad gets home and I go oh jeez and my dad was strong man my dad was firm, he was strict, you know, but I know today <clears throat> he was powerless over this disease, you know. That alcohol synonymous, alcoholism affects those that love us the most. But so does alcoholics anonymous, you know. They also are affected by this way of life. They get to have the son that we should have been all along, the brother, the uncle, you know, what have you, and uh, fathers or what have you. And so, when, when I went to ask, I didn't know, right? But my mom says, you're going to go visit Alfonso. You're going to go see Alfonso. I go, Alfonso? Who's Alfonso? She didn't say Alfonso. I might have been all right with that, because I'm not bilingual, right? Growing up, I just speak a little Spanglish. But uh, she said Alfonso. And I go, Alfonso? What's Alfonso going <laughs> to do for me, you know? And, but your back's against the wall, and you got to go. Well, I went to see Alfonso and, and he was at this, this little outpatient deal on Gearheart, uh, on Beverly between Gearhart and uh, Bradshaw. And I went and seen him and he was this little guy like this. He was 60 years old. He was old. I'll be 59 next month, right? Or in, in August. But I thought he was old. He's 60. And he had four years on this program. He had been to places I had never, ever been done things I had never, ever done, and and he did like 33 years locked up. And he told me, you know, go check out these meetings or whatever, and he introduced me to this place to go, recovery home, and and I know my mom had went to see him and later, but I was seven years sober, I was sitting across the table with my mom one day in the kitchen. And uh, she told me like the real story, right? And she said, yes, I'm here to get help uh, for my son. And this little, same little guy must have been in the same white short-sleeved shirt with a tie on a pair of slacks and shiny black shoes. And he told her, come on in. There's a place for you to go. And she said, no, you don't understand. My son, he's doing drugs He's drinking. And he goes, oh, no problem. Come on in. There's a place for you to go. And she's like, No, you don't understand. My son. And he went and goes, Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, your son. How old's your son? He says, He's 25 years old. And he says, Oh, is he working? No, he's not working right now. He says, Well, he must be in college. He says, no, he's not in college. He says, Well, let me ask you, does he have his own room? He says, yeah, he has his own room, Does his own bed and everything. He yeah. goes, is there any food in the house? She goes, are you kidding? I cook for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for his father and his brother and sister. He says, okay, let me get this straight. You have a 25-year-old son. He doesn't work, he, he doesn't go to school. He's right there in the chichi, he's never gonna let go. And I asked him, mom, what did you say? And she said, Well, he saw that I kind of got, you know, surprised. He says, I don't mean no disrespect. Sit down, it's a place for you to go. And there was some ladies in the back of that building that introduced my mom. So when I showed up asking for help that one night, she was fully armed. With a year of, of uh, black back Elinon training, you know? And I had no idea. And uh, I'll tell you some. That old guy, he lives in San Bernardino. He's 93 years old. Gave me a cake, not this Wednesday, the Wednesday before, you know? And uh, I, I, the week before, I go, hey, Gucci, he goes, hey, you got 33 years? I go, yeah. He goes, are you gonna take a cake i go next week why i go because i take my first cake at my home group with my sponsor that's what i was taught and that's what we do and he goes oh good all right we'll do next week i go hey don't you normally come over he's from san Bernardino. this this uh meetings in Roseme. and and i said did not you even come with one he goes no he's over in south america at a convention i go how'd you get here he looks at me, he goes, and drove. Okay, I right, go, right. you drove from San Bernardino over here at night, you know, for this meeting? He goes, why not? What the hell? I'm 93 years old. What's going to happen, you know? <laughs> and uh, and I, was, I swear, he's, he, he's, he's been doing it now like four weeks straight. <laughs> but he's still full of energy. He, says, he tells everybody he's ADHD because he just goes, goes, goes. But he's... Uh, he taught me something early on, you're not my sponsor, but I was at a meeting and uh, I don't know what I shared with him. Some kind of snivel thing, right? And uh, he goes, you know, your first year's physical, your second year's emotional, your third year spiritual, and your fourth year you, you time all together. Now, that was well over thirty years ago. I don't know if that's true. But that day, I, all I needed to know was, hey, I'm in mean my first year, I, I just need to stay sober, right? But I'll tell you, I stayed around a while, and this lady that worked at the recovery home I went through, she was celebrating five years, and man, I was so happy for her. She, was, she had a hell of a story, right? And then she said that some old tyrant told her, happy birthday you know it took you five years just to detox now that the work starts you know and i thought jeez man he's never gonna get it and I saw, you know same thing i remember hearing a, a tape of uh ken o'brien and he shared about 28 years he goes we're the best he goes but this 29th year and i thought jeez man i'm never gonna get it you know but uh the reality is that thank god for those old timers you know that dug the ditches for a guy like me to have a place to come, that raised the bottom for a guy like me, you know? And this old guy, right? I'm talking about Alfonso. Every year, when he gives me a cake at that men's stack, he says, you know, I met Rudy's mom. I knew his mom. When he got out of prison, she brought him to me. And they all look at me saying, "Man, we know he's a mama's boy. He never been to jail man come on." But I tell him every time you know I know in his mind that's his story, you know and, and they all look at me, my sponsor laughs, "Oh uh, what does he say uh?" uh San Quentin Rudy or some shit. <laughs> and, uh, everybody knows, but you know what, man? I'm so forever grateful, and if I stay sober and he stays sober next month, I'll be able to give him another cake. you know? And, uh, looking forward to that, you know? And I'll tell you, man, I, 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 like I said, I didn't know anybody staying sober or coming to these meetings, but I, I started going to these meetings. That, old, that guy that my brother introduced me to, he lent me his car, you know? He lent me his car, he told me to go or a truck, and, and I went to a few meetings, and uh, I was up in, in like this and I was finding meetings out there. And I finally uh, kept calling into to, to Socorro, a division of Cry Health in El Sereno and, and they and they uh, you know they said, "Okay, you got to come in." And I said, I, I, I'm, "I'm working." I, I'll, I'll be there, but I can't get there right away. He goes, you better get here. They've heard every story in the book, right? And I'm telling to just wait, I'm coming and this and that. So I drove back to Victorville. My cousin drove me, had me eat, you know, and, and his wife made a big, beautiful dinner for me, you know, fajitas and rice and beef and salsa. And so I, I go there and I get there. And this young kid, about 22 years old, who's still sober, you know, this gang member from Hazard, you know, but he he was sober. You know, he had two years at the time, and uh, he he's, he's like, "Hey, man, get undressed." You know, and I'm like, "Jeez, all right." And so I'm in this recovery house, and I said, "Well, I got to take my underwear too." you "No, man, just <laughs> put your clothes on, man. Get out of here." And uh, he he uh, he's still there, you know, and um, so I I. Uh, I was thinking about what he said at the meeting yesterday. He told everybody that I got butt naked in front of them. And that's not true, but they liked it. It's a men's stag, you know, they're, they're ragging on me. So, anyway, so this, that guy's still there, you know? So I, so many people that, that that God surrounded me around my home group, you know? He put me around these people that took this thing serious, you know? And they showed me this way of life, you know? And I met my sponsor when, when I was uh, new. And I got his phone number and about and I had another sponsor for about two and a half years. And uh, after two and a half years, for whatever reason, right, I I, I I wanted to change sponsors, you know. And and the what I found out and and when my when I asked Alex to sponsor me, he goes, Well, you have a sponsor right now? I says, Yeah, his name's Amondo He goes, All right, you need to go to him and you gotta tell him that you love him. He goes, And don't call him you go to his house and you tell him you love him. And you tell him thank you for sponsoring me for the last two and a half years but I'm gonna get another sponsor. Because you don't have to explain anything to him. You just tell him thank you and tell me love him, and that's it. He goes, and if he asks you who your sponsor well, who who you're gonna get to sponsor you, tell him it's none of his goddamn business. And I thought, Oh shit, here we go. And so he says, all right, you willing to go to any lakes and this and that? And, and we've been doing this still, you know. He introduced me to to the home group that I, that I go to. It's a Tuesday night, a regular group at Los Amigos at 8.30 p.m. It's uh, the best place that, that I could find myself on a Tuesday night, you know. And um, we've lost a lot of people throughout the years, as you have, right? And, um, you know, I can't imagine... not having him there you know but what I, what one of the things that that i admire so much about him is that he's always around us he's always around new people he sponsored a lot of guys but he's always in the mix you know and um i've seen old timers come to meetings get dropped off by their wives who are old also and they got dementia and nobody's there they don't have anybody you know because they were always together and i don't know maybe before i got here they were sponsoring guys i don't know but I know that my spouse is never going to have to experience that because he's so loved, you know, and, uh, you know, he's been there through me. I remember, uh, you know, my dad, I told you my dad was strict, and and, uh, he used to go see me take a cake every year, him and my mom, before he passed away. He died in 2001, and uh, I don't know if he ever understood what the hell we need to keep coming meetings for I don't know if he really understood what alcoholism was because my dad he, he was just like he was he was so respected in his family you know and uh, I think they expected us to be the same way you know and uh, one day he, he pulled my sponsor aside and he told him thank you Thank you for doing what he couldn't do because no belt or, you know, punishment or anything like that was going to get me sober, you know. And uh, I remember being on a, on a pass and him and I started playing golf. See, him and my brother could talk from morning till midnight sports all day long. I played sports. I liked it. But I wasn't going to sit there and watch highlights over. And this is way before ESPN. But they'd watch all of them and they'd switch the news channels to only watch the sports part, you know? And I'm thinking, you just you saw the games, you saw the replays, you saw the news, and now you're watching them over and over, you know? And so they, they had that, but me and my dad, I would just say, Hey Dad, how you doing? Yeah, okay. Oh, how's the Raiders? Yeah, how's work? Okay, how are you doing? Oh, good, good. Love you. Okay, love you too. Or whatever, right? I don't even, I'm, to be honest, It wasn't after I got sober that I started telling them that I loved them. And it wasn't, I don't know if it was said in the home. I don't know if my brothers and sisters said it to each other or if my dad would say that to us. I know there was a lot of cariño and that they loved us and I always had to shake my uncle's hands and kiss my aunts and hug my cousins and all that stuff. But I didn't hear those words. But when I asked my sponsor to sponsor sponsor me, the last thing he told me is I love me, you know. And so I started telling my family that, right? Now, I don't take credit for that. I know it's God working in our lives and and Alcoholics Anonymous and, you know, what the example I was giving. But I know we say it to each other all the time now. Maybe they did. Maybe I was just too far gone that I don't remember. But, uh, you know, it's it's a direct result of that, you know. And uh, I'll tell you, um, when I was new, I, I, I bartended after about two and a half years i i I, I talked to a friend of mine that i've known since kindergarten we played sports together and everything right and we did a lot of other things together and and after i got sober he told me hey man uh you you working i said no do you want a job i go what do you mean do you want a bartender yeah i'd love to bartend but i was already sober right and i did it for like 10 10 years At this uh, this place in Montebello called, uh, at the time it was prime cut. Then it became Gotham. Then it became tortillas, wild coyote. I don't know if any of you hung out there. And uh, I loved it, you know. I remember on the first day of my job, I remember my sponsor told me, he goes, you know, I know a lot of people that worked in bars and restaurants, and 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 they didn't get they didn't get drunk. He says, and I know a lot of them that went to work bars and restaurants, and they got drunk. But just remember, young man, if you feel like you're gonna take a drink, leave, tell time I gotta go and walk out. He goes, you don't know him now. And so, he goes, and just remember, don't lift your fingers, right? Okay? <laughs> First day on the job, I'm with my boy Bags, kindergarten friends, we've been hanging out, you know, we, we, we lost touch, after for a while and he did what he had to do and, and uh he was bartending there and first schooner i went to pour it blew right and i was like all right and he goes hey i'll, I'll go change it he talks like that he's bags and talks like that he goes I'll, I'll go change it bro and i'm like come on bags i know I to change the Kate. Okay? i got you you sure yeah yeah i got it so i go there all I'm thinking I know what I'm doing, right? And they had three lines, three lines on Bud Light eggs, And I pulled the first one, knocked out, I pulled the second one, knocked out, I pulled the third one, knocked out, okay, boom, 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 boom all the way, bring in the, the, the full ones, tap the first one, tap the second one, tap the third one, I didn't lift the thing high enough and I punctured that ball bearing and it sprayed all over my face. And I'm in an apron, right? And I go like this. I said, okay, God, I hear you loud and clear. Don't take this thing for granted. And I hit my knees in that cooler. I didn't care who was going to walk in. And I prayed and I just said, thank you. Okay, I, I hear you, you know. And uh, and I say that, like I said, 10 years, I still do it once in a while. If they, if they, if they call me, um, not as much, especially with COVID and whatnot. But, you know what, I, uh, I loved it, you know. Because, see, I could be behind that bar safe. Because I didn't have to have the courage to go talk to a girl. Or the courage to mix with some friends. I was at a 40th birthday at my sister's house, right? I go my wife. I, I end up getting married in, in, in... I better not forget this date, right? <laughs>
3: <laughs> in twen-
2: 2006? Yeah? Anyway. 2003. Let's see. I don't know. We're going to have 16 years. So 2003, I think and uh she, she, all her family they speak spanish right they speak English too, stupid when, they, the, when they're together they speak speaking spanish and i don't understand everything. i walk in there they feed me just like here 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 they start feeding me right and they sit down and they eat and then i just sit there i can't really and then if i try to speak spanish i really don't make much sense and uh <laughs> try to like make them laugh or something and it's not funny or whatever and so but they're beautiful right they're beautiful they're best in laws you know like they work hard they've done well for themselves and and uh but now i'm on my territory right with my sisters and cousins and and i'm watching my wife and she's mingling with, with my nephew's wives and they're having a great time and i'm sitting there looking at my phone and it dawned on me that had nothing to do with not speaking Spanish. I had everything to do with my expectations, my my not you know not being able to to, to mix, you know? Unless I'm talking about boxing, fishing, food. I really don't, can't really add too much to the, or AA, right, and they're not gonna talk about A, eh? And so, so I have nothing to add, you know, and, and, it, and it, was, it was humbling. It was very, very humbling, you know. And so, for many years, like I said, my mom and dad, they came to see me take cakes. And, and I know one thing is that they may never understood, my family, about alcoholism. Like they should, they think like, hey, you've been going so long, why do you need to still go there, right? And, uh, but they, they can be understanding. You know, I have friends of mine that I've known for over 40 years, guys that I grew up during high school. And we meet about every two to three months and we have breakfast. And uh, if you can make it, great. If you can't, hopefully you make it to the next one, you know, but they've been to some of the most important days of my life. Like, you know, my getting married, um, my 40th birthday, things like that, right? And and not one of them has came up to me and says, "Come on, you can have a beer. What's wrong with you? You know, be a sissy or whatever, right?" They, they don't want to see me that way because when I was drinking, I wasn't around them, you know. And so they they they've been real supportive, and I met a lot of good people, you know, um, through those friendships. And I was uh, when I asked when I hit my knees that day in the garage I went to uh, I called a friend of mine and this is a guy I've known all through high school I met him playing baseball before we we entered high school so I knew who he was and uh, this guy was smart he was athletic played football, basketball he played baseball. He was good or everything. He was quiet, you know. And a lot of people thought he was stuck up. And uh, we would always say, mm-hmm, you just don't know him. Just so, don't know him. The guy, I told him one day. I said, hey, Eric, you used to work for your dad. was a caterer. And we all used to work. And maybe that day here, day there. But he would always go during the week, always do his homework. Had perfect penmanship, right? Print it everything didn't have it. print it and uh i said eric you know that money you used to save when we were growing up i bet you still have most of that money right and he kind of smiled because i know he, he didn't he we would, hey we're gonna go out man because i ain't got no money i go man you got more money than god you know and 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 he said no i ain't got no money but what he was saying is i ain't got no money to go blow money you know and uh and go out and drink and whatever, not that he didn't drink, but he says, it's funny as you say that, I kept that for about 20 years after we graduated, he ended up bought a Porsche, you know, that one that he bought at that, that time, you know, he was going to pay for it, Gosh, and I thought, oh, that's, that's cool, man, I knew it, I knew he hadn't squandered it, you know, and and this guy worked hard, man, he, 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 and, and there was a time when, when I wasn't such a good friend of his day, you know, and, um, and we remain friends and and i and i remember that they came to. i kind of forgot about this but i heard it later that they, they came and picked me up to take me to the dodger game they drug me out of that garage you know and wow. then they dropped me back off there and my friend tells me that this guy eric he, he, he cried because yeah, he, he had tears all the way home you know, and, and he came to me at one point to ask me if, if he could send me to rehab. He would be willing to pay. Now I owed this guy about four grand that he had lent me on his little business deal. And uh, I told him, man, don't waste your money, man. I ain't ready, you know, and whatnot. So after all this stuff, you know, I remember I, 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 uh, I went to make amends to him, right? And he told me, hey man, we're good. I'm just glad you're sober. I go, Eric, you don't understand. If I don't take care of this, the man says, if I don't pay you this money back, I may never ever get over my drinking. And he goes,
3: I shit,
2: I should have wrote it out a little longer. You know? so he took it and he, goes and he just listened, you know. And, uh, and and I paid him the money I owed him, you know, and, and I later became the, the godfather to his only daughter, you know. And him and his wife had, a, had another son. She had a son and he became, he became, uh, he, he took my, my friend's last name. Even his dad was still around and, and he was involved. But this guy was an awesome guy, man. And uh, something happened at, at, at work where, where they accused them of like cheating on his paperwork. Now this guy got better numbers than any other driver because I knew other guys as long as him that worked there, and they they said nobody has better numbers than him. He's fucking phenomenal, right? Worked for UPS, and uh, and, and they and they they forced him into retirement, right? Now most people would say, well, shit, if you retire early, you're in my cookies, right? Not him. He took it so hard, man.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, in AA, you know, I mean, this is, this is a place for alcohol, right? But there's a lot of men on us out there, you know. We see them. And uh, I was, ho- I, I said, man, I wish he was drinking and depressed in that way. I maybe know how to help him. You know how to help them. Worst thing is <clears throat> I, I wasn't, like, blowing them off, but I, I tried to treat them like nothing was wrong. Long story short, he took his own life. You know. And uh, I mean, this is a guy that cut his lawn every week. You know, washed the cars. You know, didn't take it a car wash. I don't no. You know, and, and had plenty of money. Had you know, he wasn't gonna get paid for four months, and he had plenty of money. You know, because of the union deal, and by the time he'd settle up he watched his daughter get married and he wasn't the same. And, and I look at it and I say, <clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't know what to do. Not that it was my responsibility, but I tried to talk to him like, like I didn't want to upset him like, say, man, you're not fucking right. You know, sorry to cuss. But uh, anyway, so that's, that's one thing that, that I had to deal with that. I'm glad I was sober, you know, I was able to, Share shared his, uh, his services, the, the family asked me to, to give a eulogy, you know, and it was tough. There was a lot of guys who knew a lot longer than me, you know, and uh, he he's the guy that told me, you know what, if you go in there in that house and ask your mom for help, you could never, ever, 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 ever take another one again. No. At that point, I thought, I know you're right. However, if I got a date or something, i like to go a concert or something, you know, maybe then, a special occasion, right? I didn't say that, but in my mind, I did. Mind of an alcoholic, you know, there's a lot more to this particular way of life than just not drinking and coming to meetings. You know, it's a way of life, you know, and... I had to learn about alcoholism and when i work with you guys I, I don't sponsor uh robert i sponsor his sponsor's sponsor right and so there's like four of us you know lineage right and there's just so many but i i invited him to come because this guy is on fire you know he's always willing to read he's willing to be of service he's moving chairs he's pouring coffee or or you know passing around cake or what have you and i watch him and i thought man this guy's the, the lifeblood of Alcoholics Anonymous, one of them, you know, and and that's what keeps us busy, keeps us going, you know, and he didn't even has I called him last minute, I called a few guys I sponsored, they're busy, you know, and I know they're busy, you know, they got stuff, you know, and I, and I, I called him and, and he's like, yeah, I'll be there, you know, so I, I want to thank him for coming with me, you know, I want to thank you guys for the hospitality and, and just tell you a little bit, so I got married, It'll be 16 years in October. I married this gal, and uh, she had a little girl, right? She had two little girls, but one was the niece, right? And the niece ended up staying with the grandparents, and that was their legal guardians and all that. And, and the little one came with us, you know? And at about six years old, she, she started telling her mom, I want to beat Ibarra. You know, she had different last name. I told my wife, I said, this "Should be easy. Just go down to DMV or well, I don't know where you do it. You know, change the No, no, no. If you're gonna change it, I want it to be right, like the right way." I'm like, "How much is that gonna cost us?" You know. And, uh, <laughs> but I knew not to say that. But I thought, "Well, it's just going to change the name, right?" Nope. So there's a birth certificate now with my name on it, and uh, and that little girl took my name. You know? And uh, she's quick. She's 21 now. Just turned 21. And uh, I remember telling her one day, I said, "You know what? You're ungrateful. I pick you up from school. I take you to school. I take you to go eat. I pick you back up. Take you to practice. I pick you up from practice. I go to your games. I go here. We go there. We do this. And you're ungrateful." Know, but the whole time I'm saying it, I'm thinking of my boss saying, you're ungrateful, man. I keep paying you. you. You lollygag, you don't do this. You're not working hard. You're not working your potential or this, that. Or my wife, you don't do anything around the house, whatever. She don't say it, but I don't. And uh, and my daughter's looking at me like, well, that's what she signed up for, right? And I thought, I'm a little brat, man, like that, right? But she's quick, you know? And she's, she's just, she knows she's got me, you know? She's got me. She's a, she's a good kid, she doesn't drink. We had her 21st birthday, there was three bottles of champagne on her table. She doesn't drink. And, and I don't want tell her you better not drink. I don't know what, she's been to these meetings, she's heard me speak before, she's so me take cakes. And, uh, but for whatever reason, you know, she's, she's just not drinking. she dated a boy. I, all right, we lived in Montebello, she was gonna end up going to Canwa, the Donnelly Latina kid, and I thought, I gotta, I wanna have her something different. So we moved to Brea, right? I wanted her to play Brea, play basketball there and this some have different people. Now, I know I'm gonna sound like a bad person right here, but I said, I take you out of Montebello, all the way to Brea, and you will find the only one of two black boys in your class that you're gonna date, you know, <laughs> she did, and they're still together, you know? And you know what, he's a good kid. He's a good kid. He, he don't wear his pants down here. He's not, <laughs> you know, they like rap music. And they go to the concerts, and neither one of them drink. His mom's a devout Christian, and they're good kids. You know what they did last night? They watched. He, she's got him watching Bridgewater, and I thought, come on, son. You know, come on, man. There's some other good shows I can tell you about them, but they they, they do that stuff. You know, they're they're, they're kind of I don't know nerdy kids or what, but they're good kids you know, and she's making me proud, man. She went to Santiago a couple years. She's transferred now to to, uh, Cal State Fullerton, and she'll probably graduate next summer, you know. So, you know, I've never had it so good, and all that's happened for me is what God has been doing for me, what I can do for myself and you people. Thank you for letting me share.
4: I'm less alcoholic, and uh, happy Father's Day for all you fathers. Yay. 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 Yeah,
5: go
4: ahead.
3: Ha
4: uh-huh. ha. Don't get it too close over here; it might blow up. Excuse me. Oh, I'm just kidding. Okay. We have a new. Uh, Grapevine rep, Alan. He volunteered. Go ahead. Books are for sale at cost.
2: Um, we got some free literature for you guys here, if you guys need some. Um, and if you guys want any, you can see me after the meeting. So,
4: thank you, for love you, sir. All right. Let's thank Rudy and and Chris for a good, a good meeting. And we want to thank uh, Fernando and Carlo, you guys are so good, and, and, and everybody that brings food, the food is great, Keep. and uh, if you want to bring something next week or something, just tell Fernando you're bringing something, and just bring it, and it uh, seems to work out. I'm a grapevine rep, you know, uh, two years is 58 bucks, and uh uh, we I give one out every week, and uh, this one here is a a classic. It's uh, from November seventy nine. It's a it's a classic Grapevine edition. And the, on the first page, it says the perfect Christmas gift. You know, is uh, is uh, meeting in print. You know, you can take it to the police station, take it to a recovery house. You know, get a subscription to somebody's in the prisons. You know, H&I, you know, and next week, uh, you know, we're going to have H&I and we all want to participate in that and and support them because they do so much work in in all over the city and uh, been a big part of my sobriety, too. And uh, there's nothing like it, you know, so if you're new or or you've been around a while and you're a little stagnant, you know, get involved in H&I. It'll change your life. I'll, I'll tell you that. It'll change your life. Anyway, uh, with that, <laughs> this is what happens in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, Jerry, come on up here and read this. Thank you, I love you, man. I love you, too, brother. You've been a good all right. part of my life a long time. A
5: lot, a lot of years, brother. <coughs> Did you pay him the money? Oh, out? God, I get one of these? Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah, my, my name is Jerry. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Jerry! These are promises. If we were painstaking about this phase of our development, we we'll would be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see our experiences can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things that gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking, self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Yes. Now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic that still suffers in and out of these rooms and the innocent children caught in the crossfire, but deliver us from evil, the the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever. Keep coming back. It works, have a work. It won't if <laughs> 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 you don't. Thanks, Randall. How do you
3: get, sir? You're good, Jerry. Oh, I did? That. <laughs> you're in that celebrity. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Fernando. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.